0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika, and this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest
1: to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you.
2: In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5E's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators.
0: Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary.
2: A message from friends of the show
3: hey danilo from thinking critically here thinking critically is a chat show podcast where we take a single concept or idea and discuss what it means within the dungeons and dragons framework each episode features a different guest from the TTRPG community and so far i've welcomed actors designers and professional dms consider an npr style variety bucket of thought-provoking analysis and humorous anecdotes where we cover all sorts of things including the nitty-gritty of how to balance encounters the perception of D&D in popular culture and the impact it has on mental health. My hope is that each episode helps you get the most out of your sessions, whatever side of the screen you sit on. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit me at thinkingcritically.co.uk.
2: Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So we are going to be rolling on through our month of Eberron content. We've got an awesome interview lined up for you tonight. I can tell already just by our uh, pre-show discussion here. But as always, welcomed by uh, our co-hosts here, Glenn Luanika. Evening, gentlemen, how are things down in the fine and hopefully not quite as humid state of Connecticut?
1: I am fantastic, Josh. Thanks for asking. Things are going Excellent. pretty well down here. How about up there in the wonderful wide world of Maine?
2: It's good. It, you know, I was bummed. I, I went to go pick up uh, the new Canaan's book yesterday and missed my local game shop by five minutes. They closed the door just as I went to go pick up Monsters of the Multiverse, uh, and I did not get a chance to get out there today. So I'm really hoping to get out there uh, maybe tomorrow. i got get some stuff going on. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to get my to get my claws on that book. I know, Lewinica, you've been talking about having it because you, you went out and bought the box set back in January, and I did not. And so I, I'm sick of you lording that over me
3: so upside <laughs> of trying
1: to downsize so and fit my entire family in an rv no. <laughs> i buy them digitally so it was there yeah. this morning when i woke up must be
0: nice. Yeah. Yeah. So good call. Good call.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get cracking here because I think that tonight's episode, man, ha- having to go ahead and hold this one into an hour might be a challenge. We are it's at- gonna be tough. Anyway, without any further ado, let us introduce tonight's awesome guest, ladies and gentlemen out in the tabletop journeys audience. Mr. James Intracasso is joining us. James from MCDM Games, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. How are you today? Welcome, James.
3: Oh All right, sir. Um- I'm great. I'm jazzed to be here. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. This is a podcast where I'm going to talk about a Taskmaster, the hit UK television series, quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, that's what we talk about. Here. Exactly. A, this is a exactly. Taskmaster yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talking yeah. about British comedians. It's going to exactly. be a lot of fun. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Much more about Mabby if we, we really Wait, wanted to. Did
1: I sign into the wrong Zencaster this week? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> we're we're going to be picking your brain all about Eberron. But for people that don't know somehow who you are or have not recognized your names, can you give us like the two minute version of your bio somehow? If you can cram it into that,
3: Yeah. Yeah. I am a game designer. I work, I'm the lead designer for MCDM Productions, which is Matt Colville's production company. But before that, I was freelance and I worked on seven Wizards of the Coast hardcovers, including Eberron Rising from the Last War. And uh, And I had a blog and I had podcasts and I worked with the Adventures League and Cobalt Press and Roll20. And I created an original role-playing game uh, called Burn Bright with a team of amazing folks as well for Roll20. So those are the highlights of what what i've done i've done a a lot of writing and a lot of editing in the rpg world nice excellent awesome
0: the plan is for us to pick your brain get your thoughts hopefully some great anecdotes along the way through all of your history as we meander through the library that you've created (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's going to be tough for I think most of our listeners to go through their bookshelves and to go through their books and find and not be able to find a book that has your name in it on somehow. So this is I I think I I would imagine that that's a tough ask. And so I think as uh, burgeoning content creators ourselves, uh, I think that's where I wanted to start today is how did you what was your journey? How did you get into game design and uh, working, working with Wizards and working with Cobalt and working with all these other great companies?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I really wanted to podcast. I uh, am formerly a television writer and producer. I used to write and produce TV commercials, specifically promos for the National Geographic channel. So if you were watching the National (laughs) Geographic channel and you saw like coming up next on Wicked Tuna, blah, 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 Wicked Tuna, new episode next Monday at nine. I might've written that. And and that gave me sort of the skills I needed to make a podcast. And at the time, this is going to sound really wild because this is no longer the case. But at the time... There weren't that many D&D new and like review or RPG review podcasts and the D&D Next playtest was going on and I was like craving listening more content for it and my wife said to me you know how to make that you should make it yourself and so I did and I pitched it to a network called the Tome Show that is actually still around this <laughs> Tome Show network and they said hey come do your show here. And that was really nice of them because they already had a subscriber base built up and everything like that. And I thought if I'm going to do that, I should have something else to point people to. And so I started a blog and the blog, the point of the blog was like stuff I'm creating for my home D&D game for people to check out. It was called World Builder Blog and and all the posts are still up and, and people can check it out. And you can see my journey like tentatively dipping my toe in, starting making very small things at first like a background or a monster or that kind of thing. And then slowly making adventures and subclasses and rules modules and things like that. And so I continued to do that. And I continued to, while I was doing that, start to submit myself for other things and got a lot of rejections from the (laughs) Adventurers League, from various magazines and things like that. But eventually I got uh, some acceptances to work with some people freelance. And then the DMs Guild launched. And when it launched, there wasn't a ton of content on it. And I thought, hey, I have this whole library of stuff from my blog. Let me take some of it and put it on there. And that really helped because there wasn't a lot on the DMs Guild. So people were checking out my stuff because it didn't have a ton of competition. I had things ready to go and it went on. And that helped... Get the notice of the Adventurers League and through working with the Adventurers League, uh, they passed my name on to Chris Perkins and Chris Perkins reached out and said, hey, I would love to check out some of your stuff on the guild. What are you most proud of? And so I sent it to him. And from there, he hired me to work on Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which was my first watsi hardcover uh, yeah. and i continued to work with watsi then for a little bit and the watsi contracts are really what helped me take off in other places other companies cobalt press and some of these other places started to take notice then because they were like hey this guy works with watsi and i did that i got to make burn bright because i was working with roll 20 and actually my contact through roll 20 came from applying for a job and getting rejected and they were like you're not right for this but what about this other thing do you think you could yeah. help us here and so it was a lot of putting my out there and trying and blogging as often as possible and that sort of thing and just throwing stuff to the wall and and seeing what's stuck and and for uh, I honestly before Chris Perkins contacted me I was kind of like whoo I'm blogging a lot and I'm trying putting a lot of effort forth here and I don't know that I have much to show for it I think I might stop like I had a conversation with my wife where I was like I think Maybe I'll give it another month and and then I'll enjoy life doing other things. Uh, so it really came at a, a very opportune time.
0: Yeah. Wow. You hit on a couple of things. It's funny. One of the very first adventures that I played in Five E was uh, Dragon Heist. and I absolutely love. Oh, wow. that adventure! I got.
1: Funny to play enough, my I'm first, reading it currently. Yeah.
0: yeah my my very first successful for all of the editions of this game, my very first successful blade singer I did in Dragon Heist and was just a blast. Get him with an investigator background. And he was basically part of the pseudo police force or whatever. He was investigating the different things that were going on. And I love the character. I love the adventure. I love the different places. In fact, I played it as an adventure league thing. And my one thing that I wish I could have done is I wish I understood how great that module was before because I would have insisted that we slow played the adventure module so we got to spend more time and got to investigate more parts of it because at the end of the day you go through an eventually you go through things so fast you just don't spend enough time in different areas so thank you, thank you, thank you I'll uh, apologize up front for being a little fanboyish about it but <laughs> I truly love the things you did with, with that module. It's the kind of thing that, that I enjoyed playing and quite honestly taught me 5e Oh and wow, th- That was where I really started. I had done like one or two other adventure league modules, but it was that really uh, got it done.
3: Wow, that's that's thank you. That is really kind of you to say, and I'm really glad you had a, a great experience with it. I've run it a couple times, and and I've had a really good experience introducing people to role playing games with it because I think it's the right mix of like action and investigation and social interaction, and it, it has enough tools there to help a GM hopefully, but also allows the story to go in many different directions. And it's also contained enough; it's contained in the city, which I think. A lot of adventures that people really have some sort of very strict. Borders, which is really why we love dungeons, right? A dungeon is a place where there's a lot happening and there are literal walls there that (laughs) say, if you go outside the dungeon, we don't know what's happening. But if you go in here, it's really easy for the GM to play around and say, oh, in this next room, this is happening. And they would hear you in here getting into a fight or because you release the dam in this one room, it's going to flood this other room. And so you can do cause and effect easily that way. That was a, a fun one to work on because I was working with my friend, uh, Joey Hake, uh, Jane Professionally is, uh, goes by, and and Chris Perkins, and we were the three writers on that. And we had a meeting every week with Chris Perkins, where we would sit down and Chris would say, Okay, what questions do you have? And it would be things like, Hey, can I can I add? this to the game can I add a butcher who who maybe is going to be like cutting apart bodies and I feeding them to theme. people sort of Sweeney I, Todd I right? love that or, that that kind of thing. or <laughs> hey could this character be a gnome instead of a human or, or all that kind of stuff and and so that was really fun and it was a sort of a master class in how Watsi does things because Chris would say yeah we can do that or no we can't because actually that's going to increase the word count of the book and we're already tight and then we'll have to add more pages and so it was great
1: I'm sure that was quite an experience getting that master class right in there with how how they run it. Definitely was,
3: yeah, yeah. Very grateful to Chris and and to Joey for for that time. So it was super fun.
2: How then did you get from all that experience getting into wizards and cobalt? How did you get connected with Eberron and getting involved in that project?
3: That's a that is a great question i was also a dm's guild adept which was this this program that was run by Wizards of the Coast that they don't actually do anymore but they picked some people who had done well on adventures league stuff or selling things on the guild on their own and they said what we're going to do is we're going to give you the book like the upcoming books 6 weeks before they release so that when they release you can have some products on the guild ready to go. <laughs> that's right? awesome. And, yeah, 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 it was great. It was wow. super, that, and they let us use program. art from the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was very generous of them, and it was good. It helped them push the guild a little bit more because then people knew, hey, there would be products. Part of the thing that happened was like a lot of us who were in that program got very busy, and so it got, became hard to, in six weeks, <laughs> crunch and put out something. But. In the time that we were there, it was really fun. And through that program, I met Chris Lindsay, and Chris said, Hey, we are getting ready to release Eberron. And it wasn't Eberron Rising from the Last War, it was a PDF that they put out that was like a little bit of an Eberron preview. Do you all remember this? It came out vaguely. uh, That was a while ago, though. It
0: was, yes, I have it on uh, DD Beyond, as a matter of fact.
3: Yes. Yep. Yeah and and now I'm trying to remember what it was called. But that was coming out. And that product they wanted to have DM's Guild Adept support for right. and one of the things that they said they wanted to do was have a couple official adventurers league adventures and i ended up being like the project lead on those and we put out these 13 adventures that were they all happened within sharn the city of mm-hmm. sharn where a lot of stuff in eberron happens because it's one of the most detailed places in the campaign <laughs> guide and so we put out this series of 13 adventures and that one of the people that i worked with on that was a at the time, an adept named Bill Benham. And Bill went to go work for Wizards of the Coast as a producer. He's still there now. A great guy. And when they were working on Rising a, a, from the Last War, they were looking for writers. And Bill said, I know somebody who knows Eberron really well and is a good writer and you've worked with him before. Do you all want to work with James on this project? And they were <laughs> like, yeah, sounds great. And so that's how I was brought in on nice. uh, on Rising from the Last War was that I had worked with Bill Bill ended up working at Watsi. He knew that I knew Eberron. And it was for a like a last minute thing. They had a writer who uh, dropped a commitment and they said, I have a reputation for being able to work quickly. And so that's another reason that they brought me in was they were like, sure. this guy can write many words in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. a so, good skill to have.
0: That's a great story. And it actually speaks to one of the thing one of the questions I had. Which is looking through your webpage, which is a great webpage. We'll definitely have it in our links because we want the audience to go to the page and see the body of your work and see how diverse it is. But just looking at the Watsy stuff you've done, I noticed that some of your titles were writer, some of your titles were as game designer. And I guess I, the question I have, so I assume our audience may have, is can you enlighten us or educate us a little bit? what's the technical difference between the two terms? Cause obviously as a game designer, you are writing, but how would you define that difference? If there's not really an industry standard for the term?
3: Yeah. So there, is not uh, uh, necessarily a, a big difference there. I So on one of the books that I worked on Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus I am credited with doing some story stuff as well as doing some game designer stuff and one reason for that is they have story consultants are people that are usually a lot more famous <laughs> than I am. They fly those people out to WotC headquarters and they like talk to them about the story and help formulate the story and that's uh, they did Pendleton Ward is that on Tomb of Annihilation Mm. and Matt Mercer is that on Waterdeep Dragon Heist but they flew out Lisa Penrose and I on Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus and we worked with Adam Lee quite a bit and Ari Levitch who actually aren't there anymore at Wizards of the Coast to uh, develop some of the story and really just some of the ideas about like things you might encounter in Avernus like dunes made of teeth and stuff like that so that was more like sitting down having a brainstorming session and writing things and then the game design work was like the technical sitting down and actually writing those things up and putting them into terms people can understand i think sometimes we make that distinction between somebody who's like a narrative uh writer or what we sometimes call a narrative designer and that's the person who is saying here are the plot beats in an adventure here is the lore about a monster that would make it interesting and exciting to encounter and then the game design aspects are often like the numbers right so a narrative designer might write the lore and a game designer might write the stat blocks often you do both right often they say to you like hey write up these monsters and that means you're making both the lore and the stat blocks but uh, but yeah there can be that distinction sometimes of somebody who is purely doing sort of story which involves usually more prose and a game designer is usually more in the numbers and writing in more technical language but usually they go hand in hand these days like i i All of it is game design and all of it is story in some ways.
0: If your game design doesn't support the narrative, then you've done something famously wrong.
3: Yeah. And
0: and the fans know (laughs) it pretty quick and you'll see it as it gathers dust on the shelf.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, You probably, if that's the case, hopefully you're not... Writing a tabletop role-playing game at the very least.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
3: First of all, that's a fabulous story about
2: how you got flown out there to go ahead and work on on Avernus, which is, again, another great module that you had your hands in. So that's fantastic. I did want to – so I want to give you a little bit of license here to wax a little bit poetic because – (laughs) <laughs> Already, like in the first 20 minutes here, you've talked about some of the biggest modules or some of the biggest books that came out, certainly in the early version of D&D 5, or some of the most influential, like working on Eberron, probably one of the most unique titles in the D&D library. So what is it like contributing on a title like Eberron or like Avernus that has brought so much into the modern D&D ethos what is it like to be able to go ahead and steer something
3: like that it is a. it is definitely a, an honor and it is a privilege and it is it, it feels as awesome and as good as i think you imagine maybe even more like that it's, it really <laughs> is a fun thing and it is particularly the folks at wizards of the coast they enjoy having fun and and every project i've worked on has been different so worked with chris Perkins on Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus or or not Baldur's Gate I did work with him on that but when I worked with him on Dragon Heist when I worked with Chris Perkins on Dragon Heist we had those meetings every week I talked about then we went and worked on Dungeon of the Mad Mage and that was very much like here's your level of the dungeon go forth Send it to us <laughs> when it's done, because that was a project that was bigger and had more writers, and they weren't able to do that meeting every week. Then for Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus, flew out and met with the team and was talking every day on like a, a Slack channel with people. And then for Eberron Rising from the Last War, that was very much then. That was a sort of Jeremy Crawford-led project was where I was, and that was yeah. very much like a one-meeting via email, like a long email download. Here's what we need you to do. Can you write this many words? Go forth and go. And if you have any questions, just email us and let us know. So it is different in each thing that you work on. And and you also work with a huge team of really great and resourceful people. And that's one of the things that is really rewarding about it, right? Is like, I have my hand in all of these projects but so do so many other people and really the people leading them are very generous with their time and they're very very good about sharing that and saying hey that's a cool idea let's incorporate that and to be able to do that and to have like uh, marks that i have left on the game that are now considered canon is still something that is like awesome to me that I forget. And when I remember, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's true. But it seems unbelievable to me. So I'm not going to accept that as true and forget it. If we talk about Kroek Toek, who is this big hyena slash mud skipper demon that vomits up gnolls on the shores of Avernus, I got to make that right. That was my idea. <laughs> I pitched that and we went ahead and we did it. And that's Really awesome. That is a piece of D D lore now that exists. I had a I worked on Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount, which with Matt Mercer, and that was really awesome because it's Matt's world. So he was even more generous because it was like, "Hey, you want to do that? Cool. I'm in charge, and I say that's fine. Like, we yeah. don't need to worry about years yeah. of Forgotten Realms canon or even years of Eberron canon. Yeah, yeah. We can just do whatever we want because I'm Matt Mercer and this is my world, and this and is my so world, go yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yes. it's it's awesome.
0: <laughs> One of my absolute favorite characters of all time is a Warforge. I'm playing him currently in a live stream, and it was because I really liked what was in the Eberron book. And I actually asked the DM, because he didn't necessarily have this set up, but I'm like, I really want to play a Warforge. Is that something you're gonna allow in this world that you're building? Because he had done pretty much the same thing. And he said, Yeah, I got a spot where that'll work. Yes. <laughs> And we just went from there and it's so much fun, but that kind of brings me to my question. Like I get, I now that I have a good idea of what the design piece was and you're probably your hands seem like they were probably all over of the Eberron book in various ways (laughs) and in various places. Tell us about some of your favorites. I'm not going to ask you to pick your one favorite. That's, unfair and we'll save that question for the end of of the episode but let me you know tell let us know some of the things or some of the areas in the eberron book that you thought were very particularly interesting or that you were really proud of how that turned out to give our audience because not everybody is familiar with eberron though they should be but kind of give them an idea of why they want to play in this game and kind of what piqued your interest
1: that was exactly the question that I was going to ask, but I was, was going to say, so yeah, no, exactly. I think we all had that question written down because, like, yeah. Not all of our fans, we've got Eberron fans, but not all of our fans yeah. are, are Eberron players at the moment. So, yeah, that the spiel yeah. of what makes Eberron tick, what makes it great, why would you suggest playing it?
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean – My history with Eberron is is as deep as one can have with Eberron. I started playing in an Eberron campaign in the 3.5 days and then I ran one in 3.5 and then in fourth edition I ran a level one through 30 campaign in Eberron because you could go all the way to 30 then and and I've run a lot of Eberron in fifth edition and I think one of the things that I really like about Eberron is that anytime you crack open an Eberron book, they're like, hey, here's 10 things you need to know about Eberron. And they're generally the same 10 things across editions. And one of them, the number one thing is, if it belongs in D&D, it belongs in Eberron, right? If you want to pull in spelljammer ships, you can figure out a way to do it here in Eberron. If you want to pull in dark sun halflings, you can do it here in Eberron. You want psionics, you can do it here in Eberron. and. It is a big world, and it is complex enough to feel real but also not so complex that i get bogged down and oh boy i I need to remember that these people were at war but then they were allies but then they weren't and i think for me the pitch is that eberron is magical world that follows magic to some of its logical conclusions right that like we would probably use magical tech to start to make life better for people but also make money. (laughs) And so (laughs) this world has this magic tech and these magic mega corporations in the dragon marked houses have risen to power. But also it is a time period of turmoil that is analogous to in our world between World War One and World War Two. And that is a time in history that is rich with spying and and all sorts of turmoil and not a period I personally would want to live through as a person but a period of history that is rife for interesting intrigue storytelling right and so this big war has just finished up on the one of the continents the continent of corvair and and there's probably about to be another really big war because of everything that happened over the last hundred years with the last war and the other thing i love about Eberron is There's a whole bunch of mysteries that they don't answer for you. They don't tell you. I think the big one that everybody points to is what caused the day of mourning, which is this incident akin to a magic nuclear bomb going off that has created this magically irradiated area that nobody knows what happened. But it was devastating enough that it made everybody say, we can't keep fighting. We need to stop. The the toll is too high. Let's stop. But also what the heck happened, right? What (laughs) happened there? And normally as a GM, that make me unhappy, right? Because... I, often, if I'm running something, I want to know what's going on. I'm the GM. I, I should know what it is. But they give you enough, like, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, both directly stated it could be that or implied by other pieces of lore that it really lets you make Eberron your own world as well. So tons of plot hooks, tons of intrigue, tons of mystery, fun magic tech. And it all feels real and logical in a way that a, a lot of old high fantasy settings to me don't necessarily right if we've had magic for thousands of years why is the world technologically the same as it was a millennia ago yeah. <laughs> when it, it should be more improved so that's one of the things i really like
0: you mentioned the the dragon marks in the the houses talk about that a little bit fill in the audience it's very easy to go to dnd beyond see all the marks take them for all their mechanical benefits But to borrow Josh's phrase, wax poetic on the nature of the houses and let us know your thoughts on how those came together. Where did that, how you ported the original idea into 5e and and made that sing as well as you did? Because I'm constantly asking DMs, do you mind if I take a dragon mark? (laughs) <laughs> like I, I, it is, it, I have a set of questions when I'm building characters Okay, so I want to use a character from this side I've got a story that will make it fit However your world fits But how about I take this I can flavor it any way you want it But I really want to do this thing uh, Because I think it's cool And it sets me up in just such a way
3: yeah. And I can't take any credit for the way dragon marks are designed or implemented. That was designed mostly by Keith Baker and Jeremy Crawford and the rest of the, like the in-house D&D design team working together. I can tell you that a lot of what I worked on appears in chapters three and four. So I did a lot of stuff on Sharn. There's many random tables that about what you might encounter in Sharn that I worked on. There's a bunch of things in building adventures that i i worked on and the adventure that's actually in there forgotten relics which is like the starting adventure in sharn is is mine in the sense that i wrote the the draft of it and then obviously went through editing and playtesting and and all kinds of stuff like that but the, what i love about Dragonmarked houses and this is one of the great things about Eberron right is like you can pick one thing and you can focus in on that and make a whole campaign around it. And the dragon marked houses are definitely one of those things. Or the dragon marked houses are also connected to many other things. And you could have a campaign that has layers and layers of intrigue. So it can be as complex or as simple as you want in in Eberron. But the great thing about the dragon marked houses is dragon marked houses are these houses that control various industries and the people who run them, right? They're like family businesses that are run by these bloodlines of people Some of whom are born with these birthmarks that they call dragon marks because the marks themselves are connected to the Draconic Prophecy, which is this big wild prophecy that shows up in the stars. It's got uh, writing on uh, walls and on the skin of some creatures. That's what dragon marks are. But they also give people powers really the ability to cast some spells and magic but then they can also harness them to do particular things so there's like house caneth which is the house that makes all of the magic items they had a huge boon during the last war because they were making magic weapons and magic armor and they were selling them to every army in the war because the Dragonmarked houses were neutral in the war there's a house orion which is a house that the dragon marks allow them to teleport and move faster. And that makes them couriers, people who are delivering stuff. It also, their dragon marks allow them to operate elemental land carts, which are these carts that have earth elementals in them. So they like move like tanks over terrain or lightning rails, which the lightning rail in Eberron is basically like a big magic powered train that moves around. And so these dragon marks allow them to basically be the best wizards in their particular area, whatever it may be. Uh, One, there's a house that's all about like solving mysteries. And so uh, investigative is their charge. There's a house that makes really good bodyguards. There's a house that makes really good bounty hunters. There's a house that is uh, of gnomes, house civis that is all about like messaging. There's a house that controls healing, right? Like there's a dragon marked house, a family owned business that controls medicine in this world and so all of that has the uh, problems that you would associate with that and then those houses want to restrict and hold on to that power so they have rules about don't marry anybody else in another dragon marked house because we don't want them controlling multiple houses they have they're rife with corruption they're rife with rivalries there are some houses that have the same dragon mark but they split Because they had these rivalries or because their heads died in the day of mourning, right? House Caneth, they they were the most powerful, but they were also based in the place where the day of mourning happened. And now they're split into three. And the other dragon mark houses are like, "Ooh, can we exploit that? Can we make that better? And they're like, hey, I I want my branch of House Caneth to be on top. It becomes like secession. So there's a lot Mm. of intrigue and politicking and which houses want the war to start anew again so they can make profit, which houses are just trying to survive, which houses are corrupt, which houses are noble. Lots and lots of fun stuff there. And then they're connected to things, right? Like maybe they know about the day of mourning. Maybe they're connected to a nation in a way they shouldn't be. Maybe they have a, a, a secret love child with another member of the house. All kinds of stuff that you can weave in there.
2: Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level. Plus, Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com. Next question that I had on my list, and I think that I know where you're gonna go with this one, but but as Hannah will attest, I am the king of the hard questions. So if you were to put yourself into more of the player camp or the storyteller camp, which one would you put yourself in and why?
3: Up until the pandemic, I would have said definitely storyteller, right? But that because that's what I did most often. And I think that's what I that's where I enjoy the most. But I now, because so the pandemic happened. And uh, a lot of people started up online games because it was like, hey, <laughs> sure, what else yeah. do we have to do? And so now I play a lot too, and I really enjoy playing. The thing that I really like about being a storyteller, and we're going to talk a lot about DD. Obviously, it's Eberron Week, MCDM. We do a lot of DD stuff, but I love role playing games in general, and I wish people played more stuff that wasn't just D&D. And (laughs) the thing that I like about being the storyteller is often you'll hear my players don't want to play something that isn't D&D because they know it. And I don't buy that because most people are willing to play if you're willing to run it for them and help teach them how it works. And most things are not as complicated to learn as D&D. And also, I think if for many people, D&D is your first role-playing game. And just trying to figure out what a role-playing game is a hurdle that you have overcome and will make learning the next game easier. And if the next game it doesn't have three core rule books that are each 300 pages, <laughs> it, it's going to be easier to learn than D&D probably. So one reason I like to be storyteller is it allows me to play other games with people and 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 what happens then is they're like oh if this exists then there's probably something else right my my friend Rudy Basso who is a Guy that I used to podcast with and we designed stuff together. He, when we started to, I introduced him to role playing games and he started to find other stuff and he found Knights Black Agents, which Mm -hmm. is a great role playing game, gumshoe based game where you play super spies, Jason Bourne or James Bond taking on secret vampires. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then what happens is my friends start to introduce me to stuff and and we get that going. So that's I would say I gravitate towards the storyteller role because I really like introducing people to new games and yeah, also because... Awesome it lets me play the games that I want to play because no one else will run them for me. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. When I was younger, I played a bunch of, I played a bunch of Warhammer and a bunch of Dungeon Dragons and a bunch of Cthulhu. And so a bunch of like games where like you rolled dice at a table and you had a character sheet. And then I remember the first time I went to a live action vampire game and it was Mm -hmm. like, whoa this is yeah. okay like i i get yeah. it now yeah. this is not just like a fancy board game with a lot of rules this is actually okay this is different than i thought and that was that not only did i meet liwanika there but it was that was like a life-altering experience where it's like, okay. okay no this is what role-playing can really be and like that experience live action role-playing and running live action games has very much informed my tabletop role-playing, because like even then, it's like, nope, there's a way to tell stories, and there's a way to embody characters that is beyond the sheet, and yeah, yeah that, that's really cool. And, so, and, go ahead. And, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, and before I
0: go to what I was going to say, I had recently started LARPing just before I met Josh, and yeah. I had been playing in a game with somebody who LARPed all the time, and I remember we were playing at a table. It was a particularly large D group. It was like 42 people, It was insane. Just levels of insanity beyond anything I've ever seen. But I remember there was a conversation. I'm like, so my character wants to kind of sneak up and hear what they're saying. And I remember him saying, so walk over there. If they see you, I'm like, what? And he's (laughs) just like, with the group this big, sometimes you have to do things like a LARP. I'm like, okay then. So (laughs) I snuck up. Like I was looking, we're in a game shop. I'm like, I'm looking at something and I'm listening to the conversation. I'm like, This is amazing. That's kind of where it started for me. And it really just expanded my mind. Other games are brilliant. That's why we went with tabletop journeys and not anything that was specific to D&D. So we have that opportunity to slowly introduce people to other game systems. I'm in the process of editing the actual play for my session zero and the first adventure for Black Hat Gaming's The Spy Game, because I love... Spy movies, action adventure, Bond, Bourne, all of that stuff. Mission Impossible. When I say I'm all in, I'm all in. And then I will grab Glenn and Josh and drag them with me. Yeah,
2: Um, We should really get a gumshoe game going. But that's
0: the same. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, absolutely. In fact, the main NPC in my game is a PI who has a back history. So <laughs> like, I'm already halfway there. But I love that type of thing. I absolutely feel exactly what Josh was saying on that. So you had mentioned something earlier about that was very similar to something I had said is I end up running the games. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to play in uh, a, a modern setting with spies in a deep uh, international intrigue kind of story. Nobody's running it, so the only way I get to play that game is to run it. I want to play, in, a, in the world of Star Trek, so many possibilities. I love Star Trek games. I was a huge fan of Last Unicorn games, Star Trek, Star Trek around
1: the cent- turn of the century. Oh, wow. Is that the version uh, that, that the we one- were playing in your apartment with my wife? And okay, yes, yeah, that absolutely. was a pretty
3: good time. Oh uh, I ran have that to for tell me. Matt. Matt worked on that. Matt Colville. I absolutely yeah. did. I yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. did. <laughs> he talked about it briefly in one of his episodes,
0: and I remember saying, "I have liked Matt Colville before I even knew he was Matt Colville." <laughs> before he was Matt Colville, and because Last Unicorn, in my opinion. To date, even though I'm learning Modifius and it's not shade on them, but to date, having played so many different Star Trek games, Last Unicorn Games remains the most true to the core of what I feel Star Trek is and was. Yeah. Like, I love that system. I still oh, wow. am, there's still a number of books in the title that I'm trying to piece together and get and add to my shelf because I just want them. I'm still using those books as source material for the uh, Star Trek campaign that I'm planning with uh, a friend of ours because. We love Star Trek, and we really want to do something really wild with it. But I know all the stuff I want to do with Section Thirty-One. That's all coming from the Last Unicorn game books. So uh, that's yeah, amazing. Please, if you can't let Matt know that he has an absolute fan for his for <laughs> for the Last Unicorn games, so it was a shame when they discontinued that license. It was just a, Man, an utter it was a good shame.
1: time too. I, playing in the game, I had fun with it. When he said a Star Trek game, I'm like, we've tried this before, and it just hadn't really sung. But we were having a good time.
3: That's great. That, that's amazing. And actually, it, it's funny. The, like the guy who created Knights Black Agents, a guy named Ken Height, also worked at Last Unicorn Games. So we're just having a Last Unicorn love fest here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we absolutely uh, and, uh, are.
0: And, th- and that that officially sold me on that. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get Knights Black Agents at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, the DNA of that game system and the folks who worked on it, I'm all about.
3: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's funny that. So what you're saying uh, there. So Keith Baker, who is the creator of Eberron, who probably people I don't know if your audience knows the story of how Eberron came to be, but essentially Wizards of the Coast said, we're going to create a new setting. We are going to have a contest. And uh, they had many rounds of the contest that started with submit one sheet. and And if you won the contest you won i think a hundred thousand dollars in a year-long contract with watsi Mm -hmm. to develop the setting and so keith baker won and did that and he's gone on to make many other games he made the adventure zone board game he created the game with the decembris and now i can't remember what it is called Um, but there's Ah. a board game that the decembris put out that keith actually is the one who designed and he put out a role-playing game an original role-playing game called phoenix dawn command phoenix stone command is a card based role-playing game and it's like a deck builder it comes with all the cards you need you don't buy booster packs or anything like that in the box and as you level up you add cards to your deck but the way you level up is really cool and interesting and it's this great game mechanic where whenever you die you come back more powerful right and you have t- two different ways to die one is the traditional reduce your health all the way down to zero the other is you have sparks and you can use sparks to do cool magical things it's like a ancient roman style world yeah. uh, but with a lot of fantasy mixed in so you can shoot fire and stuff like that but you only have seven lives Right. And so it creates this interesting tension where you want to die to become more powerful. You are mechanically incentivized to it. But each death does also bring you closer to the end of that character's story because once mm. once you die your eighth time that's it you're done uh, <laughs> you, you don't get to come back and so it's a, a really fun tension that the game creates that is really great for storytelling so i recommend if you like eberron i do think phoenix dawn command from keith baker creator is a really good thing to check out that sounds really
1: interesting i like that dynamic i like that that and we like it in abilities when they come out occasionally in other games too, where you get what you want at a cost. You
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. You got to find that management balance management. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. And re, between resource management and yeah, uh, yeah.
0: It's one it of lets you- things, I was going to say. It's one of the things that we really like about the Power by the Apocalypse build, yeah. specifically mm-hmm. with uh, the real thing. So much fun! The guys who put that together, that game together, it was like I got to a point like I'd rather not win outright. I'd rather win with a consequence because cooler things happen when I win right. with a
1: consequence. Because their discovery <laughs> yeah. system that they built into it, it was really cool the way that they wrote this game. It's out now, but we we got to play test it with them. It was awesome. Oh, cool. It's based yeah. on Faith No More's album, The Real Thing.
3: What? That's amazing. And oh, it's it. officially oh, licensed oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A power yeah. it's wicked,
1: wicked yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. But you it, start out with, with no memory and they built a discovery system. And so when you – When with consequence or fail, you make a discovery and that's how you advance. So you have to learn more about your
0: past. Yes.
1: But your past is very
0: narrative. So it's like he says, tell a story about this. And then you, along with the other players, build the story and they tend to interconnect. he will say, tell a story about how you first met so-and-so, who's another player. And But nobody can tell, like, the same story. You could tell your perspective or how you got to that moment. Yeah. But you can't tell the, that particular mm. piece. And we just spent those sessions, like, building and weaving this story. Again, with Mike from 19 Hits the Dragon, he was with us on that one. It and was. the three of us, we just – I was so addicted to building the story. Like, yeah. it was like everything that was happening was amazing. But us building the story, how we got to the moment where we w-
2: woke up with no memory – That was even stronger. (laughs) <laughs> Not that we want to go down to this road too much, but this game is, just, the yeah, game is so amazing. <laughs> right. um, like like we said earlier, we'll, we'll go wherever the conversation takes us. One of the coolest <clears throat> things was that I remember at the end of the first four-hour session, like we would made our characters and went through the first and, – and at the very end of the first four-hour session, that's when we had made it to a point in the game where our discoveries started connecting each other. So it was like yeah. up until that point, it's like, okay, so Josh, tell me a discovery about the time your character did. And then I remember at the very end of that session, he's like, okay, so all of you get a discovery and your discovery – is all four of you did a thing? What happened? Like, like you all made a heist and it went badly. What happened? And we're like, wait, we all know each other. Like, holy crap! Oh god! <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're like, damn, what the hell? You know, it was
1: amazing. Yeah, it was and fat, that one was one like, like a uh, yeah. A round robin add-on story collaborative, which was good oh, so good. sorry Josh, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no <laughs> way.
2: Yeah. It was a lot of fun.
0: So I'm gonna switch gears. I know we're in the middle of, of Eberron month and we've talked a lot about it for all the right reasons. I'll first say love the bullet, the lightning train. I actually wrote a piece in our last book that I designed for lots of modes of travel, but honestly, my thought was I want to do murder on the Orient Express, but put it on yep. a lightning rail. That was yeah. that was my concept. Thank you for again being a part of that because that is something i'm all in for i also wanted to mention you have credits on salt marsh ghost of salt marsh yes which one was a great favorite of mine back in the past i am currently in a play-by-post game for this and absolutely loving it the it's play-by-post so it's obviously much slower than at the table but i am all in i'm loving things i don't want you to spoil anything for me because the (laughs) the storytellers running it is great but there are ghosts and they're in a There, yeah, the goes in there. In They're salty. It, it's salty. It's <laughs> salty. Without spoilers, what are some of the design elements that you did there? And the wider question is, are there design things that you tend to do that appear, even though it's not the same thing, but themes, my notes. design themes that you uh, put in all of your work? You have such a wide body of work. What would you say is your signature or what do you
2: feel is your signature with your game design? Before you jump in, really, literally, my next question was: You have participated on so many different settings. What do you consider your writing signature?
1: <laughs> nice. So that's, well, that's since like, yeah, you like, two cancel each other out, I got next.
2: that's All right, James, go ahead. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so Ghost of Saltmarsh I can actually talk about all my contributions a lot without spoiling anything because I didn't work on any of the adventure stuff. There is a big appendix at the back of that book that is Appendix A and anything that isn't ship combat rules I basically worked on. And the the way that went down was I was contracted for another thing for Baldur's Gate Descend to Avernus, and I had some extra words that I was still contracted for. And they said, hey, would you like to we're done with Baldur's Gate Descend to Avernus? We'd like to move you on to another project. We need more words in Ghosts of Saltmarsh. We have this appendix and here are some ideas. Do you want to add stuff do you want to add aquatic environments and things that might be found in there do you want to add a table of ship names do you want to add what uh, like uh, a bunch of different areas that have random encounters and adventures that can happen there like just a list of stuff and they were like just work on that until you've run out of words basically so a lot of the things that are in appendix a which was really fun for me because at the time i was still working at national geographic and i got to pull on that knowledge and say what do i know about oceans and add blue holes and kelp forests and island ecosystems and things like that and then also think about okay but also there's magic and beholders and dragons and stuff so how does that change things and how what magic (laughs) stuff might there be so i got to do a a lot about that i think some stuff didn't make it into the book i had a very complicated tides equation you could use (laughs) for currents and stuff like that that i rightfully they were like I don't think anybody needs this. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but I think in terms of writing signatures, that is a really good question because uh, for me, what I like to write about is just, I like to tempt characters into doing things that are not always wise and and like to give an example right in in dragon heist i wrote a lot of chapter four i think is what it is now it was chapter three when i was writing it and then they broke things up but it's essentially that's the the chase where you're following the stone of galore through all of these different environments and trying to uh, to gather it and a big part of that was like Throwing in things that make it tempting to not go after the Stone of Galore. In Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus, I wrote the Scab, which is this uh, gross dungeon in hell that is basically you're carving your way through a living scab. And and a big part of that is there are temptations to go deeper in maybe seeking treasure or an ally or something that you don't necessarily need to complete the adventure but it'd be pretty cool to have it so that's a big thing and then I'm also working on finishing up a project for the Zvihander RPG it's a big cover to cover adventure called The Eternal Knight of Lockwood and that is really about tempting the players to to do things and then I also think I have a little bit of a horror kick and I like to work in horror are elements of things even where there aren't. So like the aforementioned Butcher, right? Water Deep yep. Dragonheist isn't a horror adventure. But I wrote the Manchun chapter and there's some more horror elements there. I wrote The Scab, the very first monster that I publi- that I ever had that was published was The Corpse Mound, which is in in Cobalt Press. And then uh, I even managed to get some undead horror elements in that starting Eberron adventure that we talked about. So yeah, that's the thing that I like is tempting you to go to scary places. That's what I like. <laughs> nice. So you nice. started
1: I'm not sure if you had a signature but you found one by the end. That was nice. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah if you let me watch.
3: ramble long enough. That, that's really my my signature is yeah. not knowing when to shut up. Yeah. Well, you also
1: <laughs> segued nicely by mitching a project you're currently working on into the question that I wanted to ask since they canceled each other out, which was we've talked a lot about the things that you've got in uh, your rearview mirror and the accomplishments that you've done and the great works that you've worked on. We know there's more coming. <laughs> so what new projects are you currently working on that you're most excited about that you are allowed to talk about? Without obviously violating anything. So what's on the front burner, not the
3: back burner? So on the most immediate front burner right now is uh, I I am currently working on three big projects at MCDM. One is Arcadia, which is our monthly magazine. Uh, We're about to put out issue... 16 and so that's always going right like we're always putting down those tracks and the train is coming behind us because that's what it's like to make a monthly magazine that's fun tons of fun fifth edition content and essentially the way that works is i'm the managing editor i find writers and we they pitch stuff to us and if we accept the pitch It's kind of like whatever they want to make, as long as it's useful for a GM or a player to use. So we've got cool stuff coming down there. We also have I'm currently working on the next MCDM class, which is called the talent. And it's basically our version of the Scion. And the way it works is there's a bit of a push your luck strain mechanic and you gain strain as you manifest these powers. They're like spells, right? You're moving things with your mind or you're charming people or, or things like that but they're very sort of psychic themed in nature or, or pyrokinetic <laughs> in nature. And so that's really fun. The designing the rules for that has been great. We're in our seventh round of playtesting. We're about to go into an open beta and hopefully that class will come out by the end of the year. really excited about that and to share that and to get that into people's hands. And then the biggest project I'm working on right now is Flea Mortals. We just had a Kickstarter for this. It's a monster book. And essentially it is a book that could replace your monster manual. We're making new versions of a lot of the creatures that are in the monster manual to be Uh, a little bit more fun to run is our line. Or you could use it in connection with your monster manual, right? You can use them together side by side, which is how I imagine many people will use them because there's lots of fun monsters in the monster manual already. We've just identified some issues that we thought, hey, maybe we could adjust this. And we know that we're probably right about that because if you look at Monsters in the Multiverse, some of the same fixes (laughs) or or some of the same issues are fixed in a different way. We also are bringing into that minion which are like creatures that you fight in droves and they die really easy. Yeah. It's fun. But you can fight like 30 things at once instead of five and so that's fun we've got companion creatures so if you want to bring a pet along with you on your adventures you've got options for that we've got um action oriented creatures which is our version of like legendary creatures and and boss monsters and we'll have a bunch of original creatures in addition to remaking lots of classic creatures one of our big goals is to for creatures that you might encounter a lot of like goblins right to give you more than a handful of goblins so like we got 12 goblins in this book so that you can mix and match and make a whole cave full of goblins and no encounter is going to be the same because you've got a goblin sniper and a curse spitter and a warrior and a goblin spine cleaver and a a boss and all that kind of stuff so that's a big goal there for us it is a, a lot of fun flea mortals is huge it's a huge undertaking from us and a bunch of writers and stuff like that but it is going to a great book so my goal is to make it the best thing MCDM has put out so far and and right now because we're very early in the project i feel really confident about that talk to me <laughs> in 6 months and we'll see how i feel then <laughs> right <laughs> No, that sounds amazing. That, does, that
1: does. And that's, that's an awesome peak at things to come, too. I, I had not heard of Flea Mortals till tonight, though Lee Wanika had, obviously, mm-hmm. based on uh, his excitement.
0: I've, um, I've been on that book since it was first teased. I forget how long ago it was, but it, it's been teased for a while. And I've basically been following. Well, I've been following that for a while off and on. Mm-hmm. But about the time I first saw the action-oriented monsters, which I think we going on a little over right. a year ago, I immediately started implementing that in my game. I have bloodied which for me in my homebrew game is when any character hits 50 percent of their hit points i have bloodied actions i have death spiral actions or whatever my party like is all freaked out now because i had some guys who explode I, <laughs> had, I had gith yankee and when they died especially the bosses they let out a psychic scream that almost smoked the entire party like they won but they like everybody was almost done with psychic damage because it let out the psychic scream it ha- also happened to warn their allies who were at their ship that had come into this world. So by the time they got to the ship, they'd set up a booby trap, which is a whole other thing. Just little things like that. I love the concept of action-oriented monsters, and I'm all for it. (laughs)
2: Like, all for it. Yes.
3: Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing.
2: All right. I have got one more question for you, James. And again, this is the as king of the difficult questions. It is, it is the doozy. And this is a question that I pulled from Twitter a couple of months ago. And so it's such a great question that I've got to ask it. If you could pick any mm. intellectual prop anywhere, anything you can oh, think yeah. of that does not currently have a role playing game port and make that role playing game port,
3: what property would you pick? So one of the things that's really hard about this is that I it's almost like as soon as you say something actually that does exist. Yeah, exactly. right? Like that's, I'm sure it's actually I'm happened gonna, Sadie. Actually yeah. Every she, time she I Percena, try to answer this question. One. Yeah, there's tons, right? My my go-to answer back in the day was Army of Darkness. Except that one does exist. It like does there exist. there is an Army yeah. of Darkness role-playing game. And I think for me, I I often I would rather I just want to, this is not me copping out. I am going to answer your question. (laughs) I I want to say that up front, Uh, but I'm more excited to work on stuff that is like original to role-playing games because I, for me, that's like the, I am interested in art that can exist in the role-playing game world. Uh, first. And what is that and what does it mean to create here and to create something specifically for this area? So all of that being said, uh, I do have an answer, which is the I believe now defunct video game series, The Legacy of Cain or Soul Reaver video game series. Ooh. And yeah, if you're not familiar, it's essentially this video game series in a world where like vampires have taken over and there's different vampire clans, medieval fantasy. But there's also humans and there is also this person who is uh, like a vampire who's become undead for a second time who instead of drinking blood drinks souls and and all of these things are connected and there's an elder gaudy giant squid type person and they're like mutated vampires and stuff like that and so that but what's really interesting is there's time travel elements and so i think you could create a very fun role-playing game experience. Essentially, it creates, the, the, throughout the video game, strange bedfellows are created. People who should be fighting against each other for survival end up working together and that kind of thing. So instead of a traditional, you're vampires eating humans or you're humans fighting vampires, I think you could be both, right? You you could have some people who are vampires, some people who are humans and they're working together in this world and like time hopping back and forth and A big part of the video games is as you time hop, the things that you do then affect the timeline. And so when you go back to your current time, everything's changed because of what you did. And so I would try to incorporate that element into it as well. That like you can mess with time. Nice. I like it. I do. I do messing with time. You coming up with.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So many shows try to do time travel and very few of them do it well get
1: it right like
2: yeah yeah that was like very much like what like undid heroes is like when they started going ahead and they started like doing more time travelly type stuff so yeah that that sounds awesome though that's that's what
3: if we're going to talk about time travel and role-playing games i do have to quick shout out for time watch which is another gumshoe based game think in fact if you've seen the marvel series loki right sure um that that time agency yeah. that, that Loki works for, that is, yeah. that is exactly what Time Watch is. It's this organization that is dedicated to maintaining the true timeline, and they're <laughs> fighting velociraptors who are from a different timeline where dinosaurs never died out and evolved and they're trying to make it so a meteor never hits earth there's a a giant cockroaches who are from a timeline where we had nuclear war and they're (laughs) constantly trying to make nuclear war happen so that their Mm -hmm. timeline becomes the true timeline and it's really that's amazing
2: oh we're gonna have to check that that
3: sounds amazing Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 think men in black but time travel so nice nice cool
2: all right, James. This has been a fantastic time. Thank you so very much. It's hard to believe that the hour is over already, and it's like Like this has been amazing. So, thank you very much for coming on here. Let our listeners know. You talked about a bunch of projects that you're working on right now, but like, how can our listeners find the stuff that
3: you're working on? Uh, I'm always talking about it, so you can head on over to twitter.com/slash James Chicasso. That's probably the the best way to uh, to find out what I'm working on now. Awesome! Brilliant! Well, thank that was you short and
1: sweet.
2: <laughs> I love yeah, it. it. It's a perfect yeah. He's everywhere, so. He's <laughs> only got to give awesome. you one. You'll see the rest from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, yeah. Again, thank you so very much for coming on here. Next week on the show, we are going to be uh, ha- airing our conversation, talking about how to homebrew elements from the Eberron campaign. We're going to be diving through Eberron Rising from the Last War and pulling out elements that maybe don't have to be Eberron-specific or can be can be at your table uh, with a twist and everything like that. We love to, we love talking about homebrew over here, so that's how we're going to take yeah. our take on on Eberron. And like Lunica alluded to earlier, our, our actual play featuring our Patreons uh, through Black Cats the Spy Game is continuing on. This this month also i continue to check that out on tuesdays so all right james thank you very much again for coming on here really appreciate the uh the time absolutely
0: yeah thank you so much this was a wonderful conversation hearing some of the backstories on the books you've done i really appreciate your time and putting up with my moments of fanboyness yeah i
3: I appreciate it you made me cooler than i am and this was (laughs) truly lovely thank you so much for having me on
1: oh come on now let's be fair maybe cooler than you feel (laughs) it's not cooler than you are oh no
3: come on all
2: right thank you very much again for coming on here and thank you everybody out there for listening uh we will be back with you next week talking more Eberron uh, for the month here so uh check it out then Uh, make sure you like and subscribe the episode wherever you're listening to us we'd love to go ahead and uh, have you hear more of our episodes here so other than that we will talk to you again next week thank you so much everybody have a great night Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. If you're
0: listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.